Table Radio Season 2. Today we continue our series on being together again with a sermon by Josh from Sunday, October 17th. Enjoy! Come to our Almost every week I get to Friday and I said, no way, there's no way this is Friday. Like someone had to have stolen Tuesday or Thursday because there's no way it's Friday. It's usually in a panic because there's a big list of things I need to do and I haven't got them done. And here comes the weekend. Now it's not always then. Sometimes I just, I get lost in a project or a task and I think, where's the time gone? I think about it all the time. So imagine my delight when last week I'm visiting my sisters down in Washington State. And one of my sisters is talking about my niece who is in the room. And she says, oh, she's a bit of a free spirit. And I don't know how it came up, but we started talking and my niece says, well, time is not linear. And I thought, oh, let's dance. I'm ready for this one. I live this every single day. Now, of course, we know that time doesn't always feel the same. So sometimes time seems really fast, like when you're enjoying yourself or when you're in a very creative moment and you're in what's called a flow state, as some people describe it. Or if you get knocked unconscious, time is gone. We don't know where it's gone. It's just, it passed very fast. Other times, it's incredibly slow. One minute seems to equal 10 minutes. That's how it feels, like when you're waiting to get out of class or you're just hankering and you finish up work so you can go off and play. Or if you're cooking cookies and you're just waiting for them to cool down so you don't burn your mouth off. You look at the clock, it says it's only been a minute, it feels like 10. No way, time is so slow. But time is still linear. Moment stacks on moment. One moment leads to another. My age and my aches and my scars all tell me this. My receding hairline tell me this. My ever-whitening beard tells me this. It is a progression forward in a very linear way. And even the Canadian border guards, the customs, they say this because they required me 72 hours of a COVID test prior to re-entering Canada. They very much believe that time is linear. Now... But because of memory and because of of hope, we can experience this linear time very differently. And yes, I did just sneak that in there. It was a big idea, and I'm going to try to justify it by going through the scriptures right now. We're in Romans chapter 13. This is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to a group of Christians in Rome. We've been using it as part of our series belonging to one another, being together again. There's a bunch of uh, verses and instruction in here about what it means to to be together in Christ, uh, following in the way of Jesus, after the pattern of Jesus. So that's what we've been doing. Just a, a bit of a backstory. Romans chapter 12, Paul says at the very beginning in verse 1, offer yourselves, your whole selves, as a living sacrifice to God, as, as worship. This is an act to give ourselves up to God. And then he says, do not be conformed to the present world, the culture and cultures around us, but be transformed in your mind. Okay? And the transfer, transformation of mind reorients ourself away from our own interest and to Christ 
and two other people. And as a result, Paul says, it's as if we have this debt of love. We owe love to those around us. And that the fulfilling of the law is love. Not in like a gooey, infatuated sense, because that would be ridiculous. We can't feel that way about everyone. But love is action. That's what he compels us towards, that this love is fulfilling of the law and reflective of our worship. It flows out of our worship. All right, so that's where we're at. We're in verse 11. It says, besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from your sleep, to wake from your slumber. Now, sleep back then as now, often can mean metaphorically sort of um, uh, an awareness of things that are going on around you. Not just in the body, but also in the spiritual realm. That's what he means here. Exactly what he means. There's something that's happening right now that Paul says, wake up. Pay attention. Don't sleep through this. Now, luckily, we've got quite a few of Paul's writings and we've got a number of chapters prior, so we can understand where, what Paul means, what is his sense of the moment. So, for example, chapter 3 of Romans, when he's talking about the work of Jesus to, to bring people near God. He says, God is showing righteousness at this present time in Christ Jesus. And in Romans chapter 5, verse 6, he says, at just the right time, When we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. And in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 29, he says, time is short. And then a couple verses later, he says, this world in its present form is passing away. And finally, in 2 Corinthians, he says, now is the day of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. So this is Paul's view of time. God is at work. There's something special about the hour. Something started in the life and the times of Jesus Christ and in his death and resurrection. It's a world changer. So in light of this, wake up. This is the hour. This is the time. The hour has come. What God has done in the past shapes the now. Wake up. And that's true for them back in the time of Paul's writing, and it's true for us now. Because of what has happened in Jesus Christ, it just naturally follows, wake up, something is in front of us, and it's urgent. Let's look at the rest of verse 11 here. So it's time to wake up from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. This is Paul saying this. Well, if you were listening carefully, you'll notice that in 2 Corinthians, he said, salvation is now in the past, or in the present for them back then, and now he's talking about salvation in the future. Is he being inconsistent? No, well, let's look at what he says. He says a bunch of things about salvation over the course of his letters. And he does past, present, and future. So something happens in the past. This is in Ephesians chapter 2, where he says, You have been saved by grace, and this is a gift from God. 
And then he talks about it in the present as a present work in Philippians. He said, he said, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it at the day of Jesus Christ. The day of Jesus Christ is when Paul believes and Jesus taught that he will return again and sort everything out and make it all definitively new. And in 1 Corinthians, he also, Paul talks about salvation in the present. He says the word of cross is folly or foolishness to those perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So you've got the past and the future. And as I understand, Paul, it presses into the now. So this is important because another thing that my niece said, she said, there is nothing but the moment. And I hear this a lot, actually. And it's kind of true. All we have is the moment. But every moment is built on other moments and will lead to still other moments. So all we have is this moment, but this moment is never alone. Now we know this because if you've had any trauma in your life, uh, we tend to be really defined by that, right? And if you're human, you, you recall maybe certain scenes that happened in your childhood that have definitely impacted you and how you view yourself in the world. The past has certainly shaped how you live out your present and how you think about your future even. And sometimes it's not even trauma. Sometimes it's the glory years. Like one time, Jason Mark, and we're playing football. Jason Mark, my arch rival, he dropped the football, and this isn't a game. He dropped the football as a running back. It bounced into my hands as a defender. Total luck, I ran for a touchdown. That was a total fluke. But I've seen people around me who cannot get past their glory years. They're defined by that moment for good or for bad in the case of trauma. And it locks them down. Totally informs the present. Now, at the same time, our present is also shaped by our future. At least three ways. So you've had those friends or maybe you're this person. Who's, ah, it'll all work out in the end. And I used to do that sometimes in school as I'm approaching a test. And it did not always work out in the end. And I used to think, why did I sabotage myself and set myself up for such failure? It was a naive and over-idealistic view of the future. And it shaped how I acted in the present. I didn't act with a sense of urgency for preparing for a test. I see this in relationships all the time, too, where people gloss over the ways in which they don't relate well with the person they like. And then it leads to catastrophe sometimes if it's overly ideal. Also, some of us are shaped by the future because we think, if I don't do this, then the future will lead to ruin. So some people you might know, maybe yourself, you're scared about the future. So you save, you save, you save. You take a bunch of preventative measures just to make sure that you're covering all of your bases. Your present is shaped by your fear of the future and the knowledge that, or the belief that only you can change the future. And if you don't act, you are completely hooped. Tied too much to the future. 
And the third way is if you just think there is no hope for the future, which leads to a sense of futility and depression, can be one, one response to that. The other could just be like, well, whatever, I'm just going to do whatever I want because the future is ruined anyway. How we view the future is going to shape our present. And what has happened in the past also shapes our present. It comes at us from both ends. Now, the Christian story assumes both of these things. It assumes that the past and the future both fold into the present, but it extends beyond our own timelines. It's not just our past and future, but the past and the future of Jesus. The past work on the cross, which started something, and the future work, which will be concluded when Jesus returns. Those are sort of the bookends to the Christian story. Something new starts when Jesus comes on the scene. Wake up. It's the start of a new thing. A new day has dawned. And it will be, and in the end, it will be the end of the old day. And that's what we see in verse 12. The night is far gone, Paul says. The day is at hand. Now, I love this. This makes me think of the dawn. And because every day we have a new dawn, it sort of points beyond and reminds us daily that something new is coming, that something has passed and something new will come. And it helps me look beyond the moment and think of that day when things will be made right in Jesus. It also reminds me why I love the Yukon so much. It's a perfect picture of this. So when you go up into the summer in the Yukon or the Northwest Territories or Alaska, boy, those nights are so long. And the sun comes up so early. And once you get past the Arctic Circle, you, there's never a time when there's no daylight. There's always daylight in the summer, near summer solstice in the Yukon. And it reminds me of the Christian truth that we see in the scriptures that something new is coming and it is definitive. Just as the sun will come, and once it goes, it's rising. There's nothing stopping it. And so is the way with this new work and this new world and this new life that Jesus starts. The hour has come, and there's nothing you can do about it. All right, so... This is the moment. The day is coming. And because of that, Paul says, dress for it. All right? He says in the second part of verse 12, So then, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Okay, he's talking about clothes here. It's an easy imagery. It's very common in the ancient world, and Paul uses it elsewhere in his letters. That put off and put on. And it's very much either or. You take off, cast off the works of darkness and you put on the armor of light. He's going to get more specific as we go. So cast off the works of darkness, put on the armor of light. And then in verse 13, he says, let us walk properly as in the daytime. So he's shifted from, from dress, from outward appearance into action into walking. 
Now, just as a form of background, in the Roman world, uh, in my research, it turns out that there was this belief that anything goes in the night. And while it's not quite the same nowadays, it's definitely different to drink in the night than, say, to drink at 10 a.m. There's still things that are generally seen to be in the night, and those are generally more frisky and sensual and a little more risque, right? Generally. That's the idea here that Paul is working this. There's certain things that you do, ways of walking in the day that are appropriate for the day. And then he says, let us walk properly as in the daytime, and then he gives a list of several things that aren't walking in the daylight. All right, he'll get to the more positive examples as we go in the scriptures, but for now, he's going to focus on these. He says, for example, orgies and drunkenness, those things belong in the night. Uh, they come as a pair, and they're, and they're plural in the Greek here, so it's kind of like repeated action. It's like drunken revelry, just losing your mind, just giving in and giving up, giving over your control to alcohol, drugs, and all of that sort of thing. And then the next pair is sexual immorality and sensuality. That's how it's translated in the English in my Bible. It just means debauched sexual excess. It's going to cover a whole bunch of that sort of thing. And just as a background, in the Greco-Roman times, for the Romans, there were tables that were reserved for drinking bouts and activities with prostitutes. And you'd even have these toga parties, which you've maybe seen in some, some old movies, uh, with young men coming of age with prostitutes. And there were writings about this saying, certainly and obviously this should not be forbidden. This is just the natural course of things. Now, of course, Paul, as a Jew and as a, a religious man and being informed by the scriptures of the old and by the life of Jesus, is going to say this is not fit with the new day that is coming. And just, you know, maybe most of us who are watching this right now, if you've come to a, a church online, you're listening to a sermon, you, you're maybe not dealing with orgies very much. But you might be dealing with giving over control to alcohol or drugs, sort of l- losing your senses, uh, finding ways to just lose control, and those do tie into sort of sleeping, just getting through the day, right? There's not the same sense of urgency, and I think that's the thing that is held in common with in all the things in this list, is where personal satisfaction becomes the primary thing, the self, the self-interest is what gets center billing. Even self-advancement, we see in the last pair with quarreling, which is rivalry, And some of the words and ideas in the background of this text to these people in Rome are party attachment, probably political, which may speak very much to our time as well. Jealousy being the final one. The prominent concern is what I don't have or what I do have or what I want. Everything is oriented around the self, which is at odds with what Paul has been speaking about the implications of the Christian life and the radical transformation found in Christ is to point us towards him and to point us towards others beyond ourselves. 
completely at odds. So instead of this, instead of what he described as sensuality, just just giving in to your senses, he says instead, verse 14, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ, he says. This goes back to some of the dress language. And it's a little fitting because here we have Halloween coming up. And, and it's, it's, it's sort of like that, I think, in where you sort of live the part. Right? If you dress up as a character at Halloween, maybe you're tempted to act like it. I know at one time I was campus police in my university. It's like a security guard type thing. And I sort of played the part with the keys. Something about uh, the uniform changed my behavior. And in this way, when we think about ourselves, when a Christian thinks about putting on Jesus Christ, it sort of helps me think about acting like Jesus more than not. But it must be even more than just play acting. So that putting on Jesus is tied to, I think as I read the rest of the New Testament, tied to participating in the very life of Jesus. It's a looking back, something like baptism, or an early conversion or commitment to Jesus, and then living that out in the present putting that life in Christ forward ahead of you at every moment. That's sort of the sense I get when I think of putting on Christ. And there's one other element of this. He says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Now, we could argue about this. I could go through the rest of the scripture, but this is already going to be too long. God is not against desire. Here, there's a sense of of these desires that boil up on our skin or at the front of mind. Um, Think about, for me, is is that bag of Oreos in the house is just a matter of time. Like, I'm just, there's that desire, I'm going to go eat it, and it's hard for me to control myself. And he says, make no provision for this. So if I don't want to, to give in to eating that bag of Oreos, I should not have them in the house. That's the way I have to think about it. That's how way I have to manage it. And in this sense, having put on the Lord Jesus Christ, just as an image, helps me to understand that in Christ I can have one extra layer between my senses and my urges and the world. Some of my wants that are disordered or out of proportion. There's one extra layer between me and action. As I think about being present with Christ, one extra layer. This view that Paul has of time is that Jesus has done something. The past does shape us. And the future also shapes us. And they can both fold into one another. Both memory of what Jesus has done and where we have come from and hope where we are headed and what Jesus will do impacts how we live and how we love. 
So God, would you do this for us? Would you do this in us and with us and through us? We do want to love better. We do not want to give up control of ourselves. God, would you be present with us? Would you keep pointing us back to you? We need you. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Table Radio, an extension of the life of the Table Church, a community in Victoria, B.C. Our mission together is to love God, love each other, and to love and bless our neighbors so that we may see Christ revealed in common life. Music for this episode is provided by The Preparation EP, written and arranged by Coco Relieve, and can be found at thetablechurch.bandcamp.com. To learn more about our community, please go to tablechurch.ca. Restore us to our right.